You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hey guys, this is Raz, and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the disappearance of Alexis Scott. Now, some of you guys may have heard me discuss this case already. I recorded an episode on this particular case a couple months ago, but I had to take it down after like two or three hours because of some issues I was having with my platform. But I always said I was going to re-record it and re-upload it because I think this is a very interesting case and her story deserves to be told. Her family still deserves closure. Alexis Scott is an African-American female who disappeared on September 23, 2017 from Peoria, Illinois. She was a 20-year-old mother to a young boy who was only about two years old at the time of her disappearance. Her mother describes her as a vibrant person, always looking for the good in any situation. On September 22, 2017, Alexis Scott was out with friends when she was dropped off at a house party in Peoria. It's not known how or when she left the party. It's not even 100% sure if she left by herself or with another person. The estimated time that Alexis was seen at the party on the 100 block of Richmond Avenue in Peoria was between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. on September 23rd, 2017. And the reason why we have the estimated time is that there's conflicting stories from party goers cab driver, and so forth about when Alexis got there, when Alexis left. Now, according to one party goer, Alexis, while at this party, she had actually left the house on multiple occasions, leaving, coming back, leaving, coming back. This particular party goer said the last time they saw her, she was in the backyard, and that's when they were leaving the party. For what we know, she last used her cell phone at 5.08 a.m., and reportedly left the party on foot sometime after 5.30. She was never heard from or seen again. Now, it's reported that she actually was not planning on going to this party. She actually was supposed to be at another party downtown, but that party had started to die down and someone invited her to this particular house party. Now, we're told that a cab driver dropped her off at the house on Richmond Avenue at 5.15 a.m., but again, it's one of those things that is conflicting because we'll also find out that some of the other things the cab driver said didn't quite match up with what other people were saying. Now, on that Saturday, Alexis' mother, April, began to get worried because again, she left Friday to go to a party. And when Alexis went out, she usually made it home by morning by the time her mom woke up. But when she woke up, Alexis wasn't there. And not only was Alexis not there, but as the day grew on, Alexis didn't call, wasn't returning phone calls, wasn't texting back or anything. Her mother, April, told Dateline, Usually, if she goes to a party, she comes back by sunrise. So I'm calling her and I'm calling her all Saturday, all Sunday, nothing. 
Now, her mother, April, she checked with friends and this just made her worries intensify because it's now Tuesday and none of her friends had heard from her either. And even more than that, Alexa had not been on social media. All her accounts had went silent and had been silent for days now. When the Peoria police were notified, they did a search of the area and performed actually numerous interviews. Unfortunately, at that time, no information or sign of Alexis was found. And even more so, no one in that area was really forthcoming with information. According to one of her missing persons flyers, it says, and I quote, there is no conclusive evidence that she ever left this residence. But she hasn't been seen since. Now, after news of Alexis's disappearance began to circulate, it was revealed that Alexis had actually just survived a kidnapping three weeks before after going to Vegas on a trip with a friend. Now, this is what we know of the story, and it's a little bit confusing because with this case, especially if you do a deep dive on social media and start looking through crime forums and you look beyond news station channels, there's actually a lot of unofficial information on this case all over the web, but it kind of makes things more sticky because it's just a lot of contradicting information all over the place. And this is usually what a lot of my cases I'll see inconsistencies, but this case, it goes beyond little inconsistencies. I mean, there's so many major facts that I have gotten three, four different scenarios for the same situation, depending on where I got the information from. And it happens throughout this whole entire case. But from what Alexis' mother knew, the whole Vegas situation was Alexis going with a male and one of her girlfriends to Vegas for a trip late August of 2017. She went on this trip with hopes of making extra money working at a dance as a dancer at some big party down there. Now, again, some sources say this was a Mayweather fight party. Other sources say that she was going down there for a bachelor party. But according to Alexis's mom, from there, Alexis was kidnapped, drugged, and then transported to Sacramento, California. And while there, she was entered into a sex trafficking ring. Now, Alexis had managed to escape, partially naked, beaten, by running into the street and flagging down a woman who found her disoriented. Alexis was able to call her mom, who sent her a bus ticket back to Peoria. According to family and friends, Alexis was looking to return to her normal life after the kidnapping. So what we find out is that when Alexis was in Las Vegas, again, she told her mom that she was going with a friend and would be returning that following Monday. But of course, Alexis didn't return that following Monday. Now, all sources agree that when Alexis got there, she met somebody and that's pretty much the only thing that everyone agrees on. One of the general stories is that Alexis met a guy and they, he asked her to go with her to Cali real quick. It's supposed to be a quick trip. Go there, turn around. But when they got there, obviously he did not turn back around. Now, the girl and the guy that Alexis originally flew down there with, they knew Alexis had went with this guy somewhere and she had not came back by the time it was time for them to go. This apparently did not raise any flags for them. They got on a plane, came back home, and then went about their life. 
what we later find out is that the man who actually owned the house that the party was thrown at on Richmond Avenue, he was affiliated with the man she went to Vegas with. You know, the guy who took her to Vegas and then left without her, completely unconcerned that she was not back in time to make the flight. But obviously at the time that Alexis went to the party, she had no idea these two knew each other, they were affiliated or anything like that. Jumping back to that September 22nd night when Alexis went to that party, while some people have questions about why she would be partying just a few weeks after being kidnapped, we have to remember Alexis was a 20-year-old girl, okay? She was a very outgoing girl. She liked socializing, she liked partying, she liked having fun, and pretty much all sources I can find on this particular matter said that she just wanted to feel normal again and in fact this was her first time going back out since her whole kidnapping ordeal her mother's quoted as stating it hurts like hell she'll never have a chance to carry on a normal life some of us get a chance to make mistakes and move on to other things but that's not the case here she didn't get her chance to live her life Police, they were able to obtain warrants to search the house on Richmond Avenue where that party was held in November of 2017. But this was two months after Alexis vanished. And also, there has been no details reported about what was even found during this search, if anything was found at all. The hosts of the house parties claim they only vaguely knew Alexis and they have no idea what happened to her. And this is something you'll see throughout the case. All of a sudden, people who knew Alexis, according to family and friends, all of a sudden don't really know her. I mean, it was just kind of high and by here and there. Everyone kind of just really try to distance themselves from what others say was their real association with Alexis. Alexis' mother, April, she told reporters that it took about four or five days for her to even really hear back from Alexis's friends when she was concerned, saying, hey, Alexis is missing. What's going on? Have you guys heard from her? The whole situation had been extremely frustrating for her mother. She said, people in the community share what they know and what has been shared with them. And I have no way of knowing what's the truth and what is not. Going back to what I said earlier, one of the issues her mother dealt with regarding Alexis' disappearance is that people kept giving her different information, contradicting information. Her mother actually told the press that people in the community share what they know and what has been shared with them, but I have no way of knowing what is true and what is not. Three years after her disappearance, her mother still held a Virgil of sorts and Kristen Miercourt, a Peoria local who has been a part of the Alexis Scott campaign since the very beginning, actually told the press regarding this Virgil, and I quote, The community as a whole has seemed to have brushed this off. This is a great turnout. I'm very happy for this, but we literally have to beg and plead for people to come out and help us search. Alexis' mother has been doing an amazing job keeping Alexis's case out there locally. One comment on WebSleuth stated they saw signs about Alexis and her case at the mall just last year in 2020, and Alexis has been missing since 2017. Now, in that same group, the Alexis Camry Scott campaign, the page has a decent following. They have about 6,500 followers, and they were still hosting search and information events in regards to Alexis's page as recently as this year. 
Matter of fact, it was stated on that Facebook page that detectives would be there as well. There will be cadaver dogs at this search in 2021 as well. That particular search was held in March of 2021, but it had to be canceled due to weather. But the page is very active and they've been doing searches. They are still making sure their local community has not forgotten about the Lexus. And actually members of that Facebook group, they have done their own searches. As a matter of fact, what I found out is that this group did a search down the Illinois River in Fulton County and they actually found items that were linked to the case. Her mom is doing an amazing job on this case and her mom has not given up. I mean, this Facebook page, they have gone to city council meetings and demand that the police continue taking heavy action regarding this case. And police, they've said, you know, they've talked to people who were at the house, they executed search warrants, they put her name into the National Missing Persons Database and spent hundreds of hours on a case. However, the case seems to be at a standstill despite the fact that they do have some evidence and they do have tips coming in. In an article on pjstar.com titled, Two Years Later, Alexis Scott is Still Missing and Presumed Dead, her mother states, I have been truthful as I have been from the very beginning. Everything the police have done and the information that we have turned over and the information the police have, it's always been that she is deceased. And at this point, her mother has made it clear she just wants to bring her daughter home in whatever way that she can bring her home, she wants the killers to go to justice. And I do say killers, and usually when I go over missing person cases, I try to be very conscious of the terminology that I'm using. And unless we have like a body or so forth, I try very hard not to use words that indicate that the person is deceased or anything of that nature. However, even though we do not have a body in this case, as we continue throughout the case, the information that we do have, you'll understand why her mom uses terms such as killer. Police talk as if Alexis is deceased. And I am going to continue on that line because of all the information that we know. This is a case that pretty much everybody who's in the know about this case is in agreement that unfortunately we do believe Alexis is deceased, but it is officially called a missing persons case because nobody has been found. Now, there's a woman, her name is Dusty Mochi. She runs a Facebook group dedicated to keeping Alexis' name out there. And she talks about, she's talked to the press about how hard it's been. She has been posting pictures for years, recording with different podcasts, organizing different searches. She used to be a Peoria resident, but she actually now lives in Texas. And during one particular interview, the interviewer talked about how it felt like Dusty was very emotional about the case when talking about all the mischances and balls that have been fumbled when it comes to this case. In one quote, she said, Is someone going to be held accountable for dropping the ball at the very beginning of this case? Yes, no one knew it was going to be like this. People go missing all the time. And 99% of the time, they show up within a day or a week. But every case should be treated as if there could be something wrong. This case wasn't treated that way in the beginning, and that's why it's at a standstill two years later. Lieutenant Mike Boland, he's the one who oversees Peoria's Department of Criminal Investigation Unit, and he disagrees about the case being mishandled. He said they have over 170 reports and that it's an active case, and police are still getting tips that come in, and they're still following up 
on the tips that's coming in. But as I said earlier, the issue is that a lot of the tips are contradicting and random. And in fact, one of the things that the police is saying is that as the case gets more known, more people are coming in telling tips. But a lot of these tips that are coming in tend to be wild goose chasing, which goes back to that contradiction I was talking about earlier. Now, in the same article I mentioned earlier, the PJ Star one, Alexa's mother said, when people don't speak up, then it doesn't help the community. No matter what color a person is, what's going on, if a person's in dire need of help, or if they have a rally, a march, then we, the community, should be willing to set aside our own things and do what we can for the community. And I think that is such a powerful statement because it really goes back to that whole no snitching code. People use this whole no snitching code as an honor to protect people in their neighborhood. But it's not a badge of honor because now it's being used to protect people who have lied, stole, assaulted, raped, and murdered. And how did we even get here? Because that's not what the no snitching code was originally meant for. This was a code that was meant to protect people in the community from things like crooked cops trying to wrongly incarcerate brown men and women and sometimes our children. It was a code created to protect those simply trying to live and those fighting for justice and inequality. But over the years, what we've seen happen is this term morphed to something dangerous. Something that now protects the most vile predators in our community. And that's not a badge of honor, nor is that a code worth. Now, Alexa's case has received national recognition. Uh, and I know usually I don't cover cases that have received national recognition, but it's one of those cases that have been the ID investigate channel, have been on Dateline, but you'll still find that a lot of people in the true crime community don't know this case. And in that featured Dateline episode, we find out that a few days after Alexis's disappearance, Peoria Police Department detectives went to the neighborhood where the party was held, and they actually went knocking door to door to get information. But they said nobody would really talk to them. They couldn't get anything. In that episode, they said vacant homes in the area were searched to see if they can find evidence or anything, but nothing was found. Police say they were trying to work on this case, they just weren't getting a lot of information at the beginning. They eventually were able to get a search warrant at the address where that party was held. And you'll hear people say, yeah, no, the people at the home voluntarily even let the police search the first time. But we have a detective Vasquez who states on one podcast that, yeah, it was a basic walkthrough of the house. It was not a search. It literally was just a walkthrough. Even that second warrant that you hear people throw out, like, well, they searched the house twice, which again, neither was done in a timely matter. But even that second one, it's later found out that that was just a search warrant for electrical devices. They literally just came into the home to collect certain electrical devices and bring them in. This was not a forensic search. However, you can find in different interviews, the tech say that, no, this was a forensic search warrant. And when you have details like that that contradict each other, it really makes it hard to make sense of what is heads and what is tails. And according to Captain Mashinsky, 
Kenya's quoted as saying, we collected some stuff there, but there was nothing that stood out one way or another in regards to that search warrant. So the police is holding this note, but we, it wasn't that we weren't doing anything. It's not that we're not doing anything on this case. It's just that in the beginning, no one was giving information. And now we're at a point where people are giving information, but the information seems to contradict each other. And it seems to be a wild goose chase. But the police state that they're following up on these goose chases, that they are going down each rabbit hole they are sent on. In an interview with the Missing TV series on ID Investigate, officers give a little bit more examples about the issues that they were running into. One officer states that, yes, they got statements from people at the party, but they later found surveillance video and the information that people at the party gave them did not match up with the surveillance video from nearby businesses. Now, when police went back to re-interview these witnesses, the witnesses were able to use the whole boat. I was drunk. I really don't recall that well as a reason why their statements did not match up with what cameras showed. And this is one of the issues that police constantly deal with in this case is that no one that they talk to seems credible. Now, when you look through social media, when you look through different true crime forums, and you look at unofficial YouTube videos on this, and you go through the comments and so forth, and even if you read between the lines when you listen to some of the videos and interviews with police, there's big hints that everyone believes that there is a major cover-up going on in regards to the disappearance of Alexis Scott and a couple of the people at that party. As we get deeper and deeper in this case, you'll see why that happens because, yeah, those people are drunk while at the party. You know what? That's, that's a pretty decent excuse. But as more and more things come out, you'll start to see, no, there's some funny business going on here. Now, Alexis's last known communication trail was at 5.08 that morning that she went missing with her talking to someone who was actually at that party, which police found odd. That same Captain Mashinsky, he told Dateline that the reason why it took a little time before they began searching was because Alexis's mother had told them that there were times when Alexis would go out for a while and wouldn't keep in touch for two to three days. And it wasn't until they realized this was by far the longest that Alexis had went without communication also without touching her social media. And again, this is one of those big inconsistencies I find with this case because you have the mother stating that she got concerned immediately the next day because Alexis was usually home by the time she woke up. And then you see the mom kind of in full panic mode by Tuesday. And this was still being at three to four days that the police said that they were told was actually in the norm for Alexis. So again, it's just one of those contradictions. The police said, hey, we were a little bit slow in the beginning because we were told that, yeah, she kind of has this habit of doing this. But in other articles, you'll hear them referring to mom saying that, no, she was immediately worried because this is something that was out of the norm for Alexis, which adds to the confusion of the case. And after I did some more searches, I did find an article or two where the mother did mention that she could disappear from two days. But again, that PJ Star article says that Alexis would always be back by morning. 
And the reason I'm pointing this out is because one of the tactics that someone involved with this case tries to use is that the mother is inconsistent in her in regards to evidence that she pushes forward in this case. And it's just one of those things where you're not really sure because with articles, papers can misquote people, podcasts, people can misquote what's said. Unless you hear from the person's direct mouth, audio recording, maybe them on video, it's really hard to kind of figure out what the person actually said, what was inferred, and what was completely taken from other sources and just thrown into there. But the issue with this contradiction is that when you have it thrown to out to the public, like, eh, she kind of always kind of runs away sometimes and she does things and she's a partier, it really shapes the way the media and the public handle that case. It really shapes how seriously the public takes the case. Now, when police did start taking this case seriously, yes, they did a lot of work. The issue is, a lot of time was lost. Now, the police, again, we know they went door to door. We know they executed at least two search warrants. We know that they still have the case open. They still do interviews with different podcasts, with different TV shows and news stations and so forth. And we even find out that they did receive some tips about different places Alexis may have been taken. And they've used boats. They've hired dive teams to come on the water. They've gotten cadaver dogs on land, but for a long time, nothing surfaced. And then even when things start surfacing, the problem is connecting it directly to Alexis and directly to specific perpetrators with hardcore evidence and not just a string of circumstantial evidence. For example, one tip that eventually came in alleges that this tipster saw items being taken from the house the party was thrown at the morning that Alexis disappeared. They said that they saw a few items being moved. This tipster said that later that morning, there were items being taken to be burned. Apparently, they got a U-Haul truck that morning and loaded with a couple items. Now, this witness told police that he had happened to open up the U-Haul truck and said that these items had more blood on it than he had ever seen in his life. This witness also says they took these items to a very specific area and set the items on fire. Police went to that area and conducted an extensive search and they did find a burn pile of items. And the exact items the tipster told them that they would find in this burn pile was in fact there in that burn pile. Now, it did finally come out that one of the items in that burn pile was a mattress. What we actually find out is that the Fulton County Fire Department was called to a mattress in a carpet set on fire on a property located in This mattress and carpet are both items the tipster said was taken from the house that he soon put into the U-Haul and sent to a burn pile. But of course, at the time, the Fulton County Police they were called to shut down this fire for 30 that day, and they had no idea that this fire was a part of an ongoing case or investigation. But the Fulton County Police, they actually were actually one who found it when it, the items were still burning on fire, and they were ones who shut it down. But of course, at that time, they did not know this 
was possibly connected to a open case. When the police were able to confirm that, they also were able to find someone who confirmed that the people at the house had put out a Facebook post about needing help transferring some furniture and appliances ASAP on Facebook. Now, this person, they told the police, yeah, they got to the house, but when they got there, no one was home. It appears they had already left with whatever appliances that they need, which means there was a second person confirming that morning that Alexis went missing. They moved some major appliances and furniture that morning, and they wanted it gone immediately. But unfortunately, that too was just circumstantial evidence. And even though police got this tip, found this burn pile, they have not been able to list anyone officially as a suspect. It created a general theory for police, but it's mostly circumstantial, and they believe that it will mess up the case if they let it be known without having the evidence they need to tie it to any perpetrator. With that said, it's definitely believed the police have suspects in mind that they very much have people they believe were involved in Alexis's disappearance. Now, in 2019, Alexis's mother, who again is extremely active in her case, she went on the Steve Local show to get her daughter's story out there. And a person of interest actually came on the show as well. This person came on the show to take a lie detector test. Now, this guy that came on the show, he was the guy that Alexis went to Vegas with. And it was suspected that he, he was actually a person involved in sex trafficking and that he was Alexis's trafficker. Now, he took the slide detective test on the show and he passed the questions in regards to his involvement in her disappearance. He's known as Leland. On the Steve Wilco episode, he actually argued with her mother and screamed at the mother that Alexis was a prostitute and how he passed the test and how all his answers came up as true. He was telling the truth and he was kind of really disrespectful towards the mother. I really wish people who are involved in cases with missing person, if it's your loved one, please stop going on shows like the Steve Wilco shows. These are shows that are not true crime shows. These are not shows that are about coming down to the truth. These are shows that are interested in entertainment and shock value. And by now you guys know exactly how I feel about lie detector tests. It's sketchy junk science, okay? They're not accurate. If you read any actual APA peer-reviewed research paper, they will tell you that there is no evidence that a lie detector test shows any true pattern of physiological reactions to unique perceptions. You can take an honest person and have them take a lie detector test and answer truthfully, but they're nervous. That nervousness is going to affect the results. And some answers, like what is your name, can read as being false. Same with dishonesty. You can have a dishonest person sit there, non-anxious, and answer questions with a complete lie and pass that test. There is no real evidence that says that lie detector tests work. And I'm going to repeat that every single time we have a case that brings up lie detector tests because it's really pushed forward in the media as, oh, and they failed the lie detector test. And people really hold on tightly to that and make assumptions based on that or make assumptions based on the fact people decide not to take them in. I just really want to make sure people understand that these are not accurate tests. A lot of lawyers would advise people 
who very well may be innocent not to take these tests because they are not accurate and they just don't want to risk the chance of their client looking a certain way based on a very flawed instrument. Now, I did some digging around and found an interview of the same guy that went on the Steve Wilco show, Leland, on YouTube. He goes on to do this interview with this woman to explain his innocence. And the video is very interesting. This interview was all over the place, okay? Down to the person interviewing him. Now, this video is a little hard to watch. They are recording on cell phones. They're on a isolated rooftop at night. It's stated that, you know, Leland will only meet her in a secret place and blah, blah, blah. Matter of fact, during the whole live, you'll hear her responding back to different people because apparently this was recorded live and some of her followers were very concerned for her safety because it actually sounded really unsafe for her to even be there. Anywho, the interview comes off really weird. Interview comes off really weird all around, okay? So the guy explains that yes, he's the guy that Reggie went to Vegas with, Alexis every turn about her, and he admitted, yes, he did know the people who lived at that home. He came back without her. He was not concerned about her welfare coming back whatsoever. In fact, you'll hear him talk about this in this very interview and his whole attitude towards the situation. From his very own mouth is that Alexis was around. She knew what time she needed to come back for flight. She didn't make it. She was a grown woman that wasn't his concern. During this interview, he actually recorded on his own phone as well. He brought up his phone so he could put it on his Facebook Live. And he said he did this because he was tired of people putting his name and stuff. And he wanted to clear the air as well. And this interview was done after the Steve Wilkel show. And one of the things I noticed is that seems the lack of their self-awareness. During this interview, he and in that Steve Wilkel's episode, he comes off very cold and unlikable. Whether he's telling the truth or not, that's how he comes off. It's what he says, it's how he says it, it's in his facial expressions as he says things. It's in his complete lack of care and concern and how he says things. And he goes over and says multiple things multiple times where he's pretty much like, I don't understand why my name is still being thrown into this and people are still saying things about me. And throughout the whole interview, I couldn't help but think to myself, well, yeah, because it's the way you're coming off. I'm not sure if he's aware of how he comes off in this interview just as a human being, but it's very often. Now, straight up right away, the interviewer let to be known she does not believe he's responsible for Alexis' kidnapping. And this is an interviewer. She has spoken also to Alexis' mom. She did an interview with Alexis' mother as well. I found that video, but for some reason it was not playing. I actually tried to access this video multiple times and I had issues seeing it. But from what is said in this interview, it seems that it might have been a flip-flop situation. It seems like when she interviewed mom, she was on mom's side during her interview with him. She is very much leaning towards his version of what his involvement in this case was. 
the beginning of the interview, it's them talking about how his name is always mentioned in every article, every video about Alexis Hicks, which I personally found not to be true. Before I came across the Steve Wilkos video and this video, I had not seen his name actually mentioned. Now, they talk about the trafficker in almost every interview. They talk about the trafficker in pretty much every video I've seen in this case, but no one named them. Matter of fact, if he didn't go on a Steve Wilkos show, maybe people locally knew because it's local. They know what's going on in the area. It's a small town, but I don't believe people knew who he was nationally until he inserted himself into the media. After I saw this interview, I then went back and Googled his name and put it next to Alexis' Scott case. And it's not brought up until after that Steve Wickles video, which by the way, again, he did not have to do. He inserted himself into that. Everything before that episode aired, just talks about the person from Vegas without ever mentioning their name. And he talks about Alexis's mother, April, always brings up his name all the time. But again, after this interview, I went back and I find no article with her identifying him by name. Now, is it possible I miss any article? I'm sure there is. I did not read every single article on this, but before that Steve Wilkos episode, I never once heard her mother mention this man by name anywhere. In this interview, he goes on to talk about how he answered all the mother's questions on that Steve Wilkos show and how he passed all the tests and how the mother just could not handle the truth. He described how the mother was yelling, it's fake, it's fake, about him passing the lie detector test. And the interviewer talked about how, yeah, she believed him because the police searched him. He spoke to the police. And I just want to briefly put in there, again, the police have heavily hinted that they have an idea of what happened. They just don't have the evidence to make an arrest. So I thought that was kind of a weird comment to say. Now, the interviewer did talk about how she talked to Alexis' mother and said that, hey, by the way, yeah, she never confirmed this. The mom said she never got a confirmation on who was threatening the mother. The mother never said your name. And again, this goes back to the contradictions I have with this interview because during this whole interview, he says a lot of things that really equate to nothing. I mean, he's talking a lot and he says a whole lot of things, but they, but a lot of it equates to nothing. A lot of it's a lot of random information that he keeps trying to make it seem like proves something, but when you break it down, it doesn't, it doesn't prove anything. And he says a lot of things that I frankly could not verify. Like again, he keeps saying that, yes, mom keeps throwing my name out there. My name is now known. And it wasn't, he put himself in a situation for his name to be known. And when the interview stops and say, hey, by the way, no, when I talked to mom, she did not say your name. And he kind of just ignores it and keeps going. And that's just one of the examples of that, of him saying like, yeah, no, because mom and even the interviewer had to say, yeah, you know, no, she didn't say your name. I found that this is something he does consistently throughout this whole interview. For example, at one point, the interviewer described that the mom shared with her screenshots from a conversation that Alexis had on her phone, and he felt the need to say Alexis didn't even have a phone, which again was unnecessary. And also is one of the things that kind of makes you as a listener want to side eye him because Alexis did have the phone. You'll find in every article, interview with any policeman that they tracked her phone. They tracked the last time she had a conversation. Every YouTube video, every article, every podcast mentions her phone because that's one of the ways we were able to track when she's at the party. When's the last time she had communication with anybody? So for him to just randomly like, yeah, she didn't even have a phone. 
it was just odd. It was just odd to say. He actually did talk to a podcast as well. This is after the Steve Wilco show. This is Leland again inserting himself because you can always say no. You insert yourself. Now, Leland says that he sent screenshots to Alexis's mother to show her that he brought tickets to bring Alexis back from Vegas. And it seems to be hinted that he was trying to show like, hey, no, I did not take her with intentions of leaving her there. I bought the ticket for her to come back. He also talks about how he talked to the police voluntarily, that he went up to the police station all by himself. Now, here's the thing. After the police talked to Leland, that very same afternoon, the police happened to go over to the house where the party occurred and seen Leland talking to the people who owned the house. Again, the guy who took Alexis to Vegas, left without her, was not concerned rumors were started that he had something to do with her and something to do with trafficking her there's also rumors that he is connected to the people that own the house he just finished talking to the police hours ago and the police pull up and who is he talking to where is he stationed across the street from their house talking to the individuals that own the house of the parties that she was last seen at a house that no one can confirm she ever actually left just very suspect now leland's whole explanation for this is that it was a pure coincidence he says that he does not live in peoria but he owns business there and that he actually had no intent on seeing him he happened to be at a business across the street from them across the street from the house and they came over to say what's up to him but i'm not 100 percent sure he's aware how weird that looks you just talked to the police about a missing woman who is a missing woman this whole weird circumstance of her leaving with you to go to a different city her getting trafficked from that city and you left without her seemingly unconcerned she goes to a house and there's rumors that you have some type of issues with her she goes to this party it's the last time anybody sees her you are acquainted and known the people at this party where we don't know what happened or if she ever left and then you talk to the police about this very same incident and then the police catch you a couple hours later across the street from where that party happened talking to the people who threw the party and owned the home. To try to say, yeah, that was a coincidence, and then try to move on, you have to understand how that looks to people. That's a whole big coincidence with a whole bunch of stuff. Now, Leland goes on to explain his version of what happened in Vegas, okay? He says that the whole rumor about him trafficking Alexis came from an allegation that on the trip, $500 was stolen and that Alexis stole the money and he trafficked her out of anger or ego. He looks at the camera at this point and says, look, there's plenty of people who owe me thousands of dollars right now that are still perfectly fine. And he talks about how when they left Vegas, he didn't go back to the area. He actually went to Costa Rica. The friend went back home. He had business to attend to. He was going to miss his flight. He went to Costa Rica and he had to handle business. That's why he wasn't concerned or anything. He states that he left without her because she decided to meet up with some people and went to Sacramento on her home. She knew when to be back and he had to leave regardless. She was a grown woman. 
when talking to Leland about this, the interviewer states her opinion, which is that she believes that Alexis met some guy, was sold a dream to this guy by a guy she met in Vegas about how he was going to take her to Cali and bring her right back. But that guy was purposely trying to get her to leave with him so he could pimp her out. Now, the whole time the woman is talking about her theory and so forth, she used air quotations when saying trafficking, as if that's not exactly how trafficking works. To say a guy lied to her about his intentions and what he was going to do with her, where they were going, and then pimped her out. Then to quote, trafficking is a different level of insensitive. That is exactly how trafficking works a lot of the time. So to then quote unquote as if to say allegedly trafficking is really disgusting, especially since we know that when Alexis was found, she was found when she was half naked and beaten. Regardless of what Alexis may have done in her past or may have not done in her past, the point is she was somewhere she did not want to be doing something that she did not want to do at that point of time. And if a man did come by the interviewer's own theory, sold her a dream and then pimped her out, which was not the dream she was sold, yeah, that's considered trap. And I want to really stress that because one of the rumors is Alexis was a prostitute. This is something Leland himself has said on national TV. And I want to be sure that people understand because once someone gets that type of label, once especially as a woman, if you get that label, going forth, the way that a lot of people look at you and look at anything that happens to you regarding sex is, well, if you prostituted, then anytime you have sex, you ask for it. You can be raped. You can't be inside it. You can't be put into trafficking because you once did this thing, which by the way, we don't have confirmed. But even if it's true that she was involved in sex work, she was taken and she did not know that was the intention. She was beaten and had to escape because what they were forcing her to do was not what she wanted to do at that time. And I want to break it down. Okay, because when it comes to sex, especially in America, we seem to have this blocker that doesn't allow us to think things through more rationally. So I'm going to use labor trafficking as an example. Okay, if you are a factory worker and you decide to work at a factory, you work, you bring home a check and you get to decide, I'm sick, I don't want to go in today or I no longer want to work at this factory. That is a difference than being kidnapped and forced to work hard labor in a small room under brutal hours and be beaten into work. Now, even if it's the same type of work you did at that factory, you are now being forced to do this work. The hours are long. You have no control from you're being beaten into doing it. You did not decide to do this. Someone forcibly took you from your environment and made you do this. And they are not being paid to do this. All the labor there you being used for, the profits are going to the people beating them, kidnapping them, and putting them into that situation. That is still labor trafficking. Even if the person used to work at a factory before, most people hear that and understand that is trafficking. That is a horrible thing. The same can be broken down with sex work. An individual who agrees to do sex work at one point in time and then decide they do not want to do it anymore or they do it on their own terms. Being lied to, kidnapped, forced, beaten, their money stolen is still a crime. 
is still a crime and it's still something that they do not deserve to have happen to them. And I want to put that out there because you'll definitely see people victims shaming, kind of do some downplaying, things like air quotes and so forth. And when you do that, it is a signal to say, eh, you know, is this a worthy victim? Quote unquote, you know, you know, they didn't get themselves into this mess. You know, well, I mean, yeah, but is it quote unquote trafficking? If yes, it is. It's quote unquote trafficking and she's still a victim. Moving on. Now, going back to the people at the house, Leland started discussing how him and this man had a falling out. That was the first time he'd seen them in over two years and the police caught him talking to them. He also felt the need to tell us a story about how one of the guys, he said, that lied to Alexis' mother and got Alexis's mother to believe that Leland was involved, did it out of jealousy. He goes on to tell us a story about how he used to talk to this man's girl in the past and the guy was still jealous at him and blah, blah, blah. Um, he, he also mentions that one of the tipsters that gave the police information was a known jailhouse snitch who got a deal and says that proof of how him nor anybody in that house was involved is that the police questioned nine people, nine people in that home, and nobody said nothing, nobody snitched. That just doesn't happen unless everybody's telling the truth. Eh, not per se, especially since they had months to get rid of things, they had months to get a story correct. There was months of the community talking and rumors and whispering happy. There was there was definitely time to get a general story together. Also, what we find out from the police is that, is that these people weren't that cooperative. Yes, their stories are pretty much congruent, but we also have the police saying that these people aren't reliable because they have video evidence showing that what they said was not true. So there's definitely that, but he likes to throw that in there he really definitely has an issue with the mom and his whole thing is that because of mom his reputation is damaged and it does make sense if somebody's reputation was damaged being mad at that person coming off aggressively because that person ruined your reputation however i do believe this leading guy does not help himself because he lacks a lot of self-awareness you present yourself in a very unlikable light you are now contributing to the problem now he does have a point. He says, you know, people hear stories and they run off and they take with it. The next thing you know, this is a main story being told. And he's right. And he fully has the right to address those rumors. However, when he addressed those rumors, he doesn't do it in the most tactful way. In his very interview, he talks about Alexa's mother a lot. One of the things he talks about is how she's supposed to be so spiritual, but she's judging him. He also talks about how mom throws out all types of theories all types of suggestions how mom really doesn't know what's going on and he is right mom does throw out a couple different ideas and theories but mom has also been very honest mom has said this in a couple of interviews that she does not know what happened and she herself has made it clear that she has been told multiple things and that she doesn't know what to believe but she has all these theories all she knows is that she misses her baby girl and she wants to know what happened she wants justice so it's just kind of like yeah mom admit that she doesn't know what happened mom admit that there's lots of theories going back to him talking about mom he goes on to suggest that alexis's mother has mental problems and the things that he is saying that mom has mental problems with they're honestly not she has a daughter that went missing the police have told her they believe she's dead they believe she died very shortly after going missing 
there are lots of rumors around town and these are some really vicious rumors about her daughter and about what happened to her daughter mom having questions mom having theories mom keeping her daughter's name in case alive is not crazy i really wish the interviewer would have put a stop to him going on a rant on that part during this whole interview he does this thing where he's kind of like trying to be like yeah i'm such a good guy and then immediately will throw out a very snarky and sensitive and really kind of side eye worthy comment and it was almost like he cannot help himself to do so and again i just one of those things that really does not help matter of fact one of the things he said is that how after the Steve Wilkos show, people were leaving comments all over the internet online saying how he was such a good guy and they felt sorry for him and that they were saying bad things about the mom. And he's such a good guy because he actually came out and told them, hey guys, you know, don't talk about the mother. I personally don't believe he did that because this whole interview, he's trashing the mom. So I personally don't believe he did that. But also, I don't believe that that happened unless it happened on like his personal account because that is not the impression I got when I looked at the comments online. That does not seem to be the theory that everyone else came to, okay? Even the people that were like, yo, this episode was bad. Mom didn't come off looking good. He didn't come off looking good. And there's definitely a lot of people that believe, hey, this looked bad for everybody involved. Even the people who had that belief, they were not championing him. I did not see anyone championing and I honestly think if he never came out and did interviews he would have a better chance of people jeopardy him he just released a quick statement of hey guys I am not involved I'm sorry for her loss blah 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 he would come out looking so much better however he does not help his case with not a single interview I have heard him do and of course you coming off as a sleazy person does not make you a murderer it does not make you involved in anyone's kidnapping it does not make you a bad guy but it's kind of like with that sex work thing there is a perception that people get though when you mention certain things when people mention sex work unfortunately the media starts caring less you kind of have people kind of just did they deserve it is this really a worthy victim you have that and it shouldn't be that way but it's also the same when you come up very unlikable no that does not mean you're a bad person that's not means you're a murderer but when you do that in the public after a while media social media they're gonna start being like yeah i don't know he kind of seems like a horrible human being i think he possibly could have done this so again one of those things where i really feel like he makes himself come off worse and he's making this worse for himself more than anything he also mentioned a conspiracy against him that he has some type of federal case and that it was because his best friend made up a story on him and he also was so innocent in that as well i have no information about that federal case but i honestly did not care to look into it his whole point in the interview was you know he's such a good guy and from what i got from the interview he just keeps getting in these situations where people are jealous of him and people make up stuff about him but he's really such a good person all these are coincidences just like him meeting with the people who threw the party that we are not sure alexis left from immediately after talking to the police about alexis's disappearance he just has a life full of coincidences moving on before the interview wrapped up, the interviewer did make a very good point of people being careful of pigeonholing cases and focusing on one person or one piece of information in a case too much 
and that when you do that, you miss a lot of other theories because you're not open to different perspectives. And I definitely believe this is true. This is something that I think is very important. I completely agree with this. When you pigeonhole yourself and you are too focused on one thing, one theory, one person, I think a lot of cases are sometimes held back because they ignore other pieces of information that really could lead them more towards the truth. And they ignore the fact that, hey, that main theory has a lot of holes in it and it can completely disrupt the case. We know of many cases where someone is falsely accused and it's because the police and the media, they got a they got a hold of one piece of information and then they're like, nope, and we're going to make sure we get this guy no matter what. Even though there has always been other little pieces of evidence that really contradict that that person did this or that theory is right. So that is very true. However, I think that was kind of irrelevant to this case because every article, every interview I've listened to with mom or the police, she has clearly indicated that she has been told multiple theories and she doesn't know which one to believe but she was holding on to all of them as a possibility every single interview i've read or heard mom talk on mom has stated that in some way form or matter every interview i have seen or listened to or read to have an officer talking about the case they have not hinted specifically at leland if anything this interview was what made me suspicious of him because after all the articles, I'm like, oh yeah, that's weird. But I was really more focused on about the people at the house. It wasn't until he felt the need to keep dragging attention to himself that I was like, oh, well, yeah, let's let's look more into this Vegas character. But nonetheless, I think that pigeonholing is something that people need to be aware of in every case and try to avoid it until we have concrete facts that lead us directly to the facts of what happened in that case with that person with that perpetrator. Honestly, I do wish Alexis had better discernment. Better discernment about her crew and the people and the people she surrounded herself with. Alexis very much is a victim. We're not a hundred percent sure of all the things she may be a victim of, but one thing that comes across clear to me in this case is that the people that she called her friends were not her friends. The people that she thought she was okay with did not have her best interests in heart. And kind of as her mother said, Alexis was just 20 years old. And at that age, a lot of us made a lot of mistakes. A lot of us had bad discernment. A lot of us gave chances to people we shouldn't have gave chances to, hung with people we shouldn't have hung with went to places we should not have went to, did things we probably should not have done. But a lot of us got to live to tell the story. A lot of us got the chance to correct the course. But Alexis didn't. And the people who she called friends, they distanced themselves from her. Her community, they didn't want to talk to the police. The people that she partied with, all of a sudden, nobody there really knew her that. All of a sudden, they were too drunk for their details to match the surveillance camera. And unfortunately, when you're younger, you you don't have the experience. And a lot of times you don't have the experience of knowing what a lot of times you learn when you're older is that not everybody you think is your friend is your friend. When Alexis disappeared, took her friends days to get back to her mother 
the people that she went to a whole other state with left without her and their attitude was she's growled she knew what's happening we were supposed to leave though knowing she left with a stranger knowing they had not heard from her days after she left that person this is a case that has a lot of different versions i listened to alexis's case on the crime takedown podcast and there was a few things mentioned in that podcast that i never heard in any other article or tv show or podcast i heard and it's not just their show it's almost every other article i read and almost every tv show i've seen on this case or podcast i listen to all of us have a little bit of different pieces of information and it's not our fault there is just a lot of versions of what happened a lot of versions of how alexis got to that house a lot of versions of what went down in vegas how she got back there's a lot of versions of if she even left that house and who really knew who who was in communication who was possibly involved in cover-ups it stated that the police told the family that they actually didn't believe Alexis was even dropped off by that cab driver that you're hear about in earlier articles. And there are articles that actually talk to the cab driver. And the cab driver says that, yeah, she got out the car and she was greeted by a man. Like in a 2018 com article titled Tom Lowry, Alexis Scott's Story Still Untold. Henry quotes from the mom where mom is very passionate. Mom states, they have proof that my daughter went into the house. There was 13 surveillance cameras that captured her going into that party, but there was never any footage of her ever leaving. The police, they got a lot of contradictory information. The media got a lot of contradictory information. Unfortunately, this is one of those cases where we don't even know what is fact in a case. It's hard to move through all the other pieces of information that comes out. This case is still open. Police are still taking in tips and they're still following up on the tips that come in. If you have any information about the disappearance of Alexis Scott, I ask that you please call Peoria Police at 309-673-4521 or Crime Stoppers at 309 673 9,000. I will not have a blog post on this particular case because the case has so much contradicting information. Um, writing the blog post, trying to get all my sources, citing them to all the different places that said different completely things was just a bit much. And again, this is a case I wrote earlier where my format of taking notes and so forth was completely different. But I will post links on the blog a link to the YouTube video I was talking about and the Vanish podcast episode on her case and the True Crime Takedown episode on her case if you want to follow up on those for yourself. Other than that, that is all I have on this case and I will have a new episode for you guys next Sunday. As always, stay safe, stay vigilant, and have a good week. You'll hear my voice again this time next Sunday. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft 
LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.